Cambridge 105 Radio. Hello and welcome to this week's From the Pavilion podcast. Thank you very much for downloading and listening in. My name is Ollie Slack. Just myself this week, no Nathan. Yes, I know, I know the disappointment. But I do explain why in the show, so you'll find out in just a bit. I could try and attempt to do this intro with me and Nathan here. I could try and put on an Irish accent and pretend that Nathan's here, but I don't think he would appreciate that very much. Well, the accents are pretty good, I think. Anyway, I can't believe it's uh, it's nearly the end of the season. Well, we're the 3rd of August this show originally aired. Tuesday the 3rd of August. Us guys in the senior and junior leagues just have a handful of weeks left until the, the end of the season. I've just got three games left, three Saturday games left until our season's done. We might have a few friendlies in September, but it's amazing how quickly the, the season's gone. Looking outside the studio windows now, quite a street, and it's it's drizzly, it's cloudy, it's murky, it's horrible. It doesn't feel like summer at all. Raj, who we have on the show from Cambridge NCI, makes a great point later on. He said it feels like it's still May, and he's right, it does feel like it's still May. Anyway, there's plenty of cricket still to come throughout the summer. In fact, when, looking at the summer, let's type, let's find out when 21st of June it starts. So the 21st June, of course, the summer solstice ends apparently on the 22nd of September. So technically, we're not even halfway through summer yet. There you go. And it will feel like summer anyway, because from the pavilion goes beyond August. We'll be around right through at least until at least mid-September. I know I've said end of September, definitely until middle of September. And you've got lots to look forward to still. The T20 Blast finals days, the quarterfinals as well, the, the running in the county championship and of course England versus India in the five match test series before the World T20 later on in the year and then of course the Ashes to look forward to so plenty to look forward to plenty to discuss which we will do so on the From the Pavilion podcast From the Pavilion on Cambridge 105 Radio Hello, good evening, and welcome along to the local cricket show where we run up all the action from around the county. Yes, this is from the Pavilion. My name is Ollie Slack, and this is your home of cricket here in Cambridgeshire. On today's show, we'll have a special interview with Phil Vasey, who suffered a cardiac arrest whilst playing for Histon two years ago. Robbie Book joins the conversation too to discuss how the club cricket charity are trying to increase the number of portable defibrillators available. We'll have a roundup of all the local action, including a historic day for Triplo. Cambridge's NCI's Raj Banerjee joins us as we look ahead to another CCA Cup final. This Sunday, it's the Junior Cup final. And, of course, we'll bring you the opening quarter-final tie of the FTP Quiz Cup Live. If you want to contribute to the show, you can do at FTP Cricket 105 on Twitter and Facebook. That's the place to do so. You can also get in touch in the studios. We're live this week, 07919 070 490. That's the number to text. You can email studio at cambridge105.co.uk too. So thank you very much for tuning in. And if you're listening in on the podcast too... No Nathan this week. Oh, <laughs> the sighs across the county, as we can't hear, his dulcet tones, his Irish dulcet tones. But he'll be back um, soon, hopefully, very soon. He's uh, still in London, still in London, working very, very hard uh, with the, the London Spirit, the 100 team, the London Spirit. So he's it's, it, actually, they're playing tonight. That is why he's not here this evening. But hopefully he'll be back, as I said, in due course very, very soon. So no Nathan this evening, just myself guiding you through the, the next hour of local cricket. And we're going to start with our feature interview this week. Because after the distressing scenes that we saw at this summer's European Championships involving that of Denmark's Christian Eriksen, attention rather acutely turned once again to that of the need for defibrillators and screening. But when it comes to grassroots level, people often find themselves asking questions. You know, does my local club have a defibrillator? Would I be able to perform CPR if needed? Well, unfortunately, it isn't compulsory across a number of grassroots-level sports, including football and cricket, to have a defibrillator, leaving it up to the clubs and local authorities 
whether to have one or not. So I caught up with Robbie Book from the Club Cricket Charity, who are working with the ECB to try and make automated external defibrillators, AEDs, as accessible as possible. And also Phil Vasey, a former local cricketer for Histon, who himself was a victim whilst playing two years ago. Across the city and South Cambridgeshire. Cambridge 105 Radio. July 2019, Histon Birds were playing away at a very small cricket club, Wimblington. We were batting first. I was batting with my colleague, uh, Oz Christie. I think I struck the ball close to the boundary and we had to run three runs. And three runs was just a little bit too much for me on that day. I collapsed. I was unconscious. And the next thing I remember is a surgeon putting something into my chest. So everything else, from my perspective, is all what people have told me. I don't remember anything. There were three important factors that day. There was two uh, members of Wimbledon Cricket Club who had been trained in CPR. They kept my heart going, pumping blood to the vital organs, and that's exceedingly important because the next bit, the defibrillator, the automated external defibrillator, that needs to be there in very rapid time. I think the statistics say that 90% survive if you get it there within three minutes, and they did. And then the third thing that saved my life was the uh, rescue services, the, um, the ambulance service, who uh, got uh, trained medics to me very quickly. And uh, if any of those three parts had been missing, then I wouldn't be here talking to you today. Yeah, pretty harrowing to hear that, Phil. Uh, so I can only imagine what it's like to talk about. So thanks for sharing that. I really do appreciate it. You mentioned the three things that were vital to saving your life. We're going to chat about the second one of those, the portable defibrillator. I guess it's an understatement, isn't it? It was absolutely crucial to you being here today. It was vital. Yeah, without that, it wouldn't. I wouldn't be here. And, and the the great thing about these devices is that it was actually my my batting colleague, Oz Christie who, uh, who uh, administered it, and he'd never come across one before. So these are fully automated devices. You don't need any training on them. From what I'm told, you open the box, it speaks to you and tells you where to put the paddles, the external paddles. It says press the button, stand away, and the shock is administered. So you don't need to be trained. They just need to be there. Robbie's with us as well from the, the club cricket charity who's been working with the ECB in trying to increase and, and, and fund the, the defibs across the country in in the game. Robbie, that story I imagine is one that resonates with you and, and probably one that you've heard lots of times. Uh, certainly too many times. The bottom line of it is that the procedures which took place so that Phil, Philip could be with us today is called the, the four-way chain of survival. Um, the first thing is identifying the fact that Philip's had his whatever it is, and we don't know at this stage what it is, but we know it's not a broken leg. At that particular point, the next stage is dialing 999 somewhere, because that's what triggers everything else off. That's stage two. Stage three is getting the defibrillator directly to the victim. I'm sorry to Phil to call you a victim, but you were. <laughs> and um, the bottom line of it is that that is where it all starts. And the great thing about these wonderful machines is they can also make a difference between whether you need a shock or if you don't need a shock. Because if you have a, um, a, a problem where you're still breathing and your heart's going and everything is okay, but you've got something else completely wrong with you, then it will say no shock and stops anything which might give you a shock, which could give you a heart attack. So it's actually a very clever little beast. Uh, and the other side of it, of course, is that it says go ahead, stand back, we are shocking in three, two, one, which is probably what happened to you, but you wouldn't know it. And, you, and so you survived, and that's wonderful. But that process has to be got through. But if you haven't got a machine, then I'm afraid it can't be got through. And your three-minute analogy is very good. We, we, we actually go as far as five minutes on the basis that brain damage doesn't start after a sudden cardiac arrest until about four and a half minutes or so. So we're probably in a better situation at five minutes than perhaps you'd have thought. But five minutes is no time at all. Um, I wouldn't mind betting that listening to this radio programme at the moment, there are people with a stopwatch. 
um, who would be able to tell you how long five minutes is and it ain't very long Hmm. I think we're pretty much close to tipping over five minutes for this interview already. It's it's a really really short short space of time. But Robbie, you're you're working with the ECB, aren't you, to try and increase the percentage, if you like, of grounds pavilions across the country that are fitted with these absolutely vital machines. Just give us a bit of detail on the current state of play and what you're doing to try to improve it. The current state of play is that if you ask the ECB or indeed anybody in the country. Um, how many clubs there are out there? The answer is we're not quite sure. Probably about six thousand, maybe. Um, there could be a bit more, probably not less. So there are six thousand clubs out there who either have a defibrillator or they don't have a defibrillator. And I can assure you that ninety-eight percent of that haven't got a defibrillator. It's as high as that. What we decided three years ago was to try to find out the cheapest way, the most sustainable way that clubs could afford to have a defibrillator. Now, that is a very difficult situation. So we let up ourselves to find out the best way to do it. And we tied up with a group called the Community Heartbeat Trust, and we put together a a distribution set up so that I could then persuade, uh, I use that word advisedly, um, the ECB, that um, it might be a good idea if they joined in this effort. And between the two of us now, the partnership is directly with the club cricket charity and the ECB, and we have something in the region of around about 400, between 350 and 400 uh, units out there as a result of our cooperation, where we started as a pilot programme, and on July the 1st this year, we became a program and we now have enough money to be able to under our offer which i can explain in a moment to be able to tell you that we have enough for the next 875 units to go out to clubs phil just on on that point the statistics robbie mentioned there are quite quite staggering really that 98 percent probably don't have have these devices obviously you were a, a cricket club that did but presumably as well you played at a number of cricket clubs before the incident that didn't, and, and cricket clubs are also venues across the country. Some parts of the country are really isolated from not only parts of the community, but also from, from hospitals and, and medical services. All I can say is thank you, whoever organised the fixtures that year. I was playing at a club that did have one, because from the sounds of the statistics, I had a 98% chance that I wouldn't be at a club that had one. And that's, that's a scary thought for me. I'm sure it is for most most cricketers. But uh, is VAT charged on these devices? Uh, the answer is no, because the setup that we've actually ended up with is that we arrange for a lease agreement, and therefore there's no VAT. So each club applies. We give them a, a lease of four years, renewable at the end of four years. No VAT on the actual bit of kit, but there is VAT on the replaceable parts which you contract to for the four-year parts of the lease. So if I can now come to the offer, which actually will explain it a bit better probably, which is that to buy a defibrillator today, not including VAT, the state-of-the-art stuff that we have and the one that you've described so well, Philip, is actually around about probably 15 or 1,600 pounds to get a a fully-fledged, up-to-date situation that you have. Now, with our lease agreement, we brought that down to £600, one off, no other charge, with no VAT attached. But more importantly, within that £600, you also get training, you get insurance against theft and breakage, and also more importantly, against vicarious, what they call vicarious liability, which is therefore the, the guy who put those anodes on you. He is covered against anything going wrong, which was obviously not the case in your case, but you never know who's going to sue to who today, are you? So that's covered in in the insurance. We also have a situation where the local emergency services are notified the fact that the club has one. And lastly, most importantly as well, for your batting colleague, either way, whether he he was successful or not, post-traumatic stress is something which is really important for them to get over. And that's also all included in the 600 quid. There is absolutely no excuse these days, in my opinion. If you think that the average um, cricket club has between 60 and 150 members, work out how much that actually is per head 
to have a defibrillator in your club. It's a no-brainer, really. No, you're quite right, Robbie. If I'm a chairperson then of a cricket club, tell me how I can go about getting one of these devices fitted. Because clearly, it's an absolute must. Uh, can I just correct you on one thing, the word fitted? It ain't fitted, it's supplied. And it, you, can put it in your, you can put it in your kit bag, <laughs> you can have it hanging on the wall, whatever you like. Even better. It doesn't need to be fitted. In fact, as a portable unit, it shouldn't be fitted. It needs to be accessible whenever everyone needs it, but that's that. So the answer is to your chairman, is to get your committee together and say, we need to raise £600 as an insurance policy against somebody dying in our club. And it's a pretty cheap premium, frankly, for an eight-year agreement, which you can have to make sure that no one does that. No, we're not just talking about the Phillips of this world. We're talking about people sitting and watching. We're talking about people who come into your club who are there for enjoyment or have a drink or whatever it is that you do, and then suddenly have a sudden cardiac arrest. And that is the bits that's important. And so what he has to do is, then the next thing they have to do is to contact the club cricket charity. And the club cricket charity is a very easy one to remember because it's a long word, uh, all in one word, and it goes and it goes something like this: Robbie.book at theclubcricketcharity.org. We will then come back to you, or you can look up on the website, which is again really simple. It's www.theclubcricketcharity.org, and you can see where to come to. Once that happens, we then supply you with an application form. And the application form is logged with us. And from there on, it's up to the club to make the payment. It's the payment that triggers the process. So you pay your £751.20, which is £600, plus £151.20 of the first year costs for your replacement parts in four years' time. That doesn't sound, if that sounds complicated, then I'm sorry. But the answer is £751.20 gets you a defibrillator, which is yours to use four years at the end of the four years you can either buy the defibrillator for a pound or you can continue on it with exactly the same agreement for another four years so you know once again there's no uh, there's no vat there's no more money there's no more money to play at all for the actual unit but you do have to put money aside to make sure you have the replacement parts couldn't be simpler could it Phil, just explain a little bit, if you don't mind, about the aftermath of the incident, what you found out, what you discovered about your condition. Well, in my case, I had a pre-existing condition. I'd had a couple of heart attacks previously, and my playing colleagues were well aware of this, so they just acted accordingly. In terms of the aftercare, I've now got what I might call my Christian Eriksson. So most people would have seen Christian Eriksson collapse to the ground in the football. So. I've got a, a device now that's actually an internal defibrillator. So hopefully um, I won't be needing one of these devices, but there are many people that will be needing them. And while I was in hospital, I, I did a little bit of research, as you do. You're always intrigued as to your own condition. Found out two or three interesting facts. There's 30,000 out-of-hospital cardiac arrests every year in the UK. Do you know how many survive? Go on. 3,000. One in ten. Blimey. If they get a defibrillator there within three minutes, do you know how many survive? Go on. <laughs> More than nine out of ten. That's how important these devices are. They could be saving if we had them every street corner, every sports ground, every cricket ground, every football ground. We could be saving 23,000 lives every year. And I think that's the ultimate goal, and cricket should be leading that. Yep. Yeah, you're quite right, Phil. Robbie, just lastly from you then, if there's anyone listening to this, whether they're attached to a cricket club or not, and they want to try and help, they want to try and, as as Phil said, help cricket lead the cause, how can they do it? Well, first of all, at the moment, uh, the best deal on the table throughout the whole of the UK is the club cricket charity ECB offer. So that's the first thing. The second thing to say is that our delivery partners, who are called the Community Heartbeat Trust, CHT. If you look at Community Heartbeat Trust on your Google, you will find the, the most remarkable group of people who have been providing all kinds of defibrillators in telephone boxes, in all kinds of places around, in communities throughout the UK. And they should be supported 
hugely by you guys. But more importantly, that each club in Cambridgeshire, every single person in Cambridgeshire has the ability to be able to do something to stem the death rate, which is we are faced with for sudden cardiac arrest. Philip, I, I really I take my hat off to you from the point of view that it's wonderful to be able to articulate what you did. There are a lot of people that can't as a result of having tremendous problems with their, with, with uh, pressure on the brain and so on, who couldn't say what you're saying now. And thank you for helping us to make everybody else safer. Robbie Book of the club cricket charity there and Phil Vasey, former local cricketer. Great to get their insight. A really powerful piece that really, really appreciate both of them chatting to me this week. Of course, if you missed any of it, you can hear it again on the podcast. We're on Spotify, Apple and also the Cambridge 105 radio website. From the Pavilion on Cambridge 105 Radio. You're welcome back to From the Pavilion, your dedicated local cricket show here on Cambridge 105 Radio. Ollie Slack with you until 7 o'clock this evening. Let's round up the local game then. Start with the men's East Anglian Premier League as this week's local derby between Bowen Exning and Saffron Walden ended in a draw. Saffron Walden batted first, posting 338 for five with centuries from Zabaya Hamza and again Nikhil Garantler, leading to a commanding total. In reply, Bowen Exning never really got going. They did hold on to reach 221 for 8 though and take home 7 points in a draw. Cambridge had a comfortable enough chase at home to Bury St Edmunds restricting the visitors to 1-2-6 all out with young Theodore Aubrey taking a 4 for, for Cambridge in reply Deminda Ranawira scored 52. Shock as Cambridge reached their target with 4 wickets to spare. Sourson of Abraham won yet again a big win for them seeing off Horsford by commanding 108 runs wasn't quite as uh, stress-free as that, though. Wax is saying top score was 73. Sourson of Abraham were bowled out for 2-3-5. But four wickets from James van der Peer restricted Horsford as they were skittled for 1-2-7. But Callum Guest took the final crucial wicket just before the rain settled in for the evening. There were lots of black clouds surrounding Sourson of Abraham's ground <laughs> there on the, the live stream. That win sees Sourson of Abraham move 29 points clear at the top after Great Witchingham below them could only manage a draw. Cambridge stay as they were in sixth despite their win. Ten points behind Mildenhall. Saffron Walden move up one spot to seventh after their draw while Burnlexing have been caught by bottom dwellers Horsford as the two both sit on 158 points and Burnlexing take on Horsford next week. It's a biggie at the bottom of the table. Cambridge travel to Mildenhall as they look to leapfrog them into the top five. Sourson and Babraham travel to Swardston while Saffron Walden hosts Frinton on sea. In the Camden Hunt Premier League, there is really only one place to start, and that is the top of the table clash between Eaton Soken and Histon. Eaton Soken batted first and posted 208 all out. Histon reached 140 for five of 40 overs before the rain interrupted proceedings. The plan was to go back out for five more overs, with Histon needing roughly 50 but the rain kept pouring, meaning that was that. And the hosts were 13 runs short of the DLS target. So a big win there for Ian Sokum. Elsewhere, Cambridge St Giles won another rain-affected game, beating March Town by 25 runs. Zahir Hussain, the star of the show there, with 102 for Cambridge St Giles. While Saranga Rajagura also chipped in with 66 for March. Cambridge 1, that's Cambridge 2's, won another nail-biter by seven runs as Ramsey fell just short of their target of 207 in a rain-shortened 40-over game. Ben Jose's Pfeiffer was crucial for Cambridge securing victory there. Foxton chased Stamford's 115 with just two wickets left. Scott Chamberlain's 5-41 nearly clawed the game back for Stamford after Stephen Smith, not the Aussie, had earlier taken a Pfeiffer of his own in the Foxton attack whilst Wisbeach won comfortably at home to St Ives Town and Warboys, chasing 204 with just two down as both openers notched half-centuries. Danny Haynes with 54, while Gary Freer fell agonisingly short of another tonne. He was dismissed for 97. That leaves the league table as follows. As I said, Eaton Soken top of the pile with 365 points, but remember, the crucial thing is making sure you're in that top four with the playoff system in place this year. So Hisner there, 350 points, Wisbeach there, 328, and Foxton occupy that last playoff spot, 311 points after 15 games. Then it goes Cambridge St Giles, 300, March Town with 248 points, 
Stamford and Ramsey. And the bottom two is Cambridge on 215, St Ives Town and Warboys 175. So Cambridge 2 is just 11 points behind Ramsey. They'll be hoping they can bridge that gap and get out of the bottom two. In Division 2 of the Camptonites Premier League, second place Newmarket fell a touch further back behind Blum after losing to league leaders by 107 runs. Third place Old Lesians have narrowed the gap to the top. Two after their 66-run win over Kim Bolton, Captain Malan Mnishko leading from the front there with 117. And Nathan, yes, Nathan is on today's show, caught up with the skipper after the game. Good to get a few. Um, a personal level, you know, I had a, a pretty pretty slow start to the season. But uh, yeah, it was nice to, to finally get a, get a few. And uh, yeah, hoping to, to continue that form going into the, the last few games of the season. And in terms of the game itself, uh, we mentioned there a 66-run win over Kim Bolton. Massive result that a few others were in the runs as well. Looked like a pretty good all-round team performance. Yeah, no, a few of the few of the boys are seeing it pretty pretty well at the moment. Um, that was a yeah, very very good win. Um, you know, typically we we do start off fairly fairly slowly in the in the season. I think it's to do with you know first of all the availability and then and then also we tend to play the the latter half of the season at, at home actually because we we obviously can't get the the lease ground during during term time. So look, we're used to having a fairly slow start to the season and then you know picking up a, a few good results towards the the back end. But uh, no, we are hitting our straps at the moment I think you know Andy Gale has been uh, fantastic throughout the season and he was uh, awesome again at the the weekend um, with the bat and you know he's been been fantastic with the ball as well and then uh, yeah Izzy Routledge bowled uh, beautifully at the the weekend as well I think she picked up uh, three or three or four wickets um, but uh, yeah no it was a, a fantastic sort of all-round team performance and uh, yeah good to, to, to hit our, our sort of straps going into the the last few days and as we get into sort of crunch time of the season now. Yeah, it looks like you're timing your push quite nicely. You know, you're up in third now uh, behind Newmarket. How realistic is it to think you can catch the top two now as we enter the business end? Yeah, look, we just got to focus on, on on really, you know, winning winning our, our next game that's in front of us. You know, not, not sort of looking looking too far ahead, but uh, we're we're certainly hoping that uh, yeah, you know, if we keep uh, winning winning our games and uh, you know the new market one at the weekend is obviously a, a big one. But if we can take twenty five or thirty points going into coming away from that game, then uh, yeah, I think we'll, we'll we'll hopefully be with a, a good shot, and we'll see where we finish up at the end of the season. How do you think? How do you see this one going ahead of ahead of the weekend? Yeah, we had a, we had a great game with them earlier on in the, the season. That they're clearly a, a very very good side. Um, that they look really really strong with the, the bat when we last played them, and we had to put in a, a, an awesome all round performance to, to to get us over the line there. So look, we're taking a lot of confidence going into into this game. We we know uh, we know that it is a, a big one, but uh, yeah, look, we are in uh, some some great form at the moment. So definitely taking a, a lot of confidence into that one, and um, yeah, look, uh, feeling very very confident going into it. Yeah, so it's Old Leeson against Newmarket this weekend. That's a big game in Div 2. Division 3 continues to be the Salton of Abraham 2 show as they saw off AK-11 by 45 runs. Mark Pearson's half-century and Sean Jenkins' fourth for the stand-up performances there. Elsewhere, fourth to gone third as Eaton Soken were rained off at home to Biggleswade whilst Burnley-Lexing lost to Southall Park by six wickets and remain bottom of the table. In other matches, Triplo were crowned national T20 plate champions on Sunday after defeating Mildenhall by nine wickets in the club's first ever senior final. So massive congrats to them. Nathan caught up with skipper Lara Nild after the celebrations had died down a touch yesterday afternoon. I think it hasn't really sunk in still. I think from talking to the girls this morning, everyone's still very much on a, a high from yesterday. So it's a great day out and yeah, just very surreal, I suppose. Just to dot the I's and cross the T's there, you were playing Mildenhall away in Kibworth and uh, you restricted them to 96 for eight off their 20 overs and you chased it down for just one down. So it was a pretty comprehensive nine wicket win. Talk me through the first innings. I mean, that must have been a heck of a bowling effort to restrict them to that. Yeah, I mean, it was, first of all, we turned up, we had like walkout music and all this sort of stuff going on the app. So it was great. It was waited for a while because it rained, um, but we were lucky to still get 20 overs in. It was quite a big crowd as well. So I think everyone was just a bit taken aback by it. So when I won the toss, I thought, we'll go field. We'll get everybody involved straight away. Just enjoying the day. Fielding-wise, we fielded so, so well. I think that's the best I've seen this field in an awfully long time. And bowling, we just didn't bowl many extras. So we really tried to make them play as many balls as possible. And the aim was just to bowl at the stumps. And 
across the board, everyone just bowled really, really well. There was no one sort of stand out amazing. There was nobody who let the side down at all. It was a really, really good comprehensive performance for everybody. Just out of curiosity, what was your walk on music? Uh, we have Mr. Bombastic. One of the girls was in charge of choosing it. It was not my choice. Um, <laughs> yeah, in hindsight, we should have picked a slightly better one because actually it's got a really quiet introduction. If anyone goes and listens to it afterwards, um, there was sort of uh, red hot chili peppers and things like that. And we definitely had the, the most quiet walk on music, but there again, it's quite good. The wickets were, looked like they were really shared around in the first innings, but in the second in your chase, there definitely was one star of the show. Izzy Routledge opened the batting and was not out 58 off 48 balls, really anchored the chase there. Um, that must have been quite a knock to witness. Yeah, it was. I mean, she just hit the most beautiful cover drives. It was just absolutely amazing because, as you say, like Mildenhall, they batted well, but they, they lost regular wickets, I think, which really didn't help their, cha- their attempt to put a good score up. So we knew going into it, we weren't chasing quite what we'd expected. So she just played her game, paced it absolutely perfectly. I'd like to have won it a bit earlier, if I'm honest, because I'm not a good watcher and it would have been a bit better on the sidelines. But she played some absolutely beautiful shots and just, there was no risk. I don't think she gave a chance for the whole innings. It was just absolutely brilliant to watch. About five runs from the end, the scoreboard counted down as well. I sort of stood up with one of my friends who were very superstitious and didn't move the entire innings. We saw her sitting on this bench and we stood up and they needed five runs. And then Chaya goes and just hits sort of, I think, one run off and over. And we're just there like, win the game, win the game. And uh, yeah, I'm not a good watcher, but it was it was great. Really, really good. You might not have been happy with the music before the game, but after the game celebration, was there any better music in the changing room as, as you guys uh, celebrated a big win? Uh, no, so the cup game was after, so we just, I think we all went and got a bit of food, celebrated all together, obviously popped the champagne and all that sort of stuff and got the trophies and then watched the other game and just carried on. I thought it was great actually everyone stayed to support all the other teams and the other teams that supported our game as well. So it was really, really good actually to have everybody across the board just supporting girls cricket the whole day. And we had also female umpires for our game, which was just absolutely brilliant as well. It just really made it a Real celebration of women's cricket, so it's a great day. Yeah, it's worth mentioning too that Triple H managed to field a side in the EAPL on Sunday too. Incredible stuff, beating Eastern by 146 runs away from home. So not only did they win the national T20 plate, but they also managed to field a side in the EAPL on the same day and also won that, demonstrating that the depth really the Cambridgeshire outfit has. Just a word on Cam's men's side. They're up against Lincolnshire today in the NCCA Eastern Division 1. They have drawn that match. They lost their opening one against Suffolk, so much needed points there for Lee Thomason's side. We should also mention, just quickly, congrats to Callum Guest. He scored 105 in the first inning, so congrats, Mr Guest, on a century there. But they have got to rest up ahead of a massive match this Sunday. It's the semi-finals of the NCCA 50-over trophy, a comp where Cams have gone 5 from 5 so far, and now they take on Cumbria for a place in the final. Here's opening batsman Ben Seabrook. We've played in the three-day a few years ago. No, they're very competitive sides. They've got a lot, of, a lot of class players in their ranks. I think we just still play our game and don't stray away from that. I think we will we can definitely get a win up there. As you said, five from five, that doesn't really happen unless the guys enjoy playing together. There's a good harmony in the group, which we definitely have at the minute, and long may it continue. From the Pavilion on Cambridge 105 Radio. So August is CCA Cup Finals month and uh, we confirmed the dates for them last week and on Sunday just gone it was the T20 Walker Cup Final, Finals Day in fact. Needingworth defeated Wilburton by three wickets in semi-final one before Histon 2's edged out Barrington by 18 runs in semi-final two before the rain came and wiped out the final. So that's been rescheduled for Sunday the 22nd of August. Looking at the weather, it might not be the only one that needs to be rescheduled. This week, we're going to preview this weekend's Junior Cup final as Linton Village of Junior South 1 take on Cambridge NCI 2s of Junior 2 North. Raj Banerjee joins me now from Cambridge NCI. Raj, thanks for coming on the show, mate. How are you doing? I'm all right, Ollie. Thanks for having us. Yeah, no no worries at all. How's the, how's the season been going so far? Obviously, in the Cup, pretty well. It's been a, a nice distraction for you from, a, from your pretty ropey, let's say, league form. 
I think you've got it spot on there, Ronnie. <laughs> We're really looking forward to the to the cup final on Sunday. Uh, and it'll be a chance for, for the Cambridge NCI2s to just contribute something towards the rich heritage of Cambridge NCI Cricket Club. The other teams, the ones and the threes, have been having a particularly strong season. I think and the fours have done pretty well as well. So uh, the twos league performance probably isn't what we were thinking it would be at the beginning of the season. So to bring something home for, for, for the Cambridge NCI, to add to all those shields at Holland Street and in the Hobbs Pavilion would, some, would be something that the, the boys are really looking forward to doing on Sunday. Yeah, I can absolutely imagine. Let's just look at your route to the final then, um, because you defeated Abington in round one and then Chatteris in round two, as I said, now to take on Linton Village in the final. It's been a, it's been a proper route to the final. You're not like maybe one of these sides that, that gets by, there's buys, there's been a couple in there. So you've had to, to go through the full qualification method to get there. Yeah, yeah, you know, you know, we've had games. <clears throat> there were difficult games against uh, Abington, and the away game at Chatteris was a really competitive game, on and off for the Thunder. It was a difficult game, you know, difficult conditions. If you look at the scores, and you think it was a real low-scoring thriller, and we really had to work for for all of those wins. So. It's really a season of two halves for us. You know, the league performance and the cup performance, they're really chalk and cheese. So we're hoping we can carry some momentum from the, from our cup performances back into our league performances. Yeah, yeah. That, that would be fantastic if you can with, what, just four games left in the league, bottom at the minute, but points available and, and only a, what, 23-point gap between safety. So hopefully you can pick up some points and, and survive in the division in Junior League 2 North. You mentioned that Chatteris game. It was a thriller, though, wasn't it? Yourselves, 65 for 7 after Chatteris were, were, were 63 all out. Absolute cracking game. Low-scoring games are often the best, aren't they? They really are pot boilers, you know, these sorts of games. And it is a, is a, it's, a, it's a demonstration of how when you apply yourselves, um, you know, it, it's sort of been the two-story, if you like, this season, that we're sort of snatching defeat from the jaws of victory quite often. And it was it was winding up to be one of those scenarios uh, against Chatteris. But we dug our heels in and we demonstrated a grit that I think really gave us a lot of momentum and we finished that game and we're feeling in a good place for, for Sunday as a result of that performance. Just quickly, do you know much about your opponent's Linton Village? So... I've seen Linton Village a couple of times. They're always a competitive team. They, they you know, we we've, we play a couple of pre-season friendlies against Linton quite often. So we know they're going to be competitive. But then every game has been competitive. So we're ready for it. We really are. And I guess this is just really exciting for the players. I said last week when we were chatting about the T20 Walker Cup final, <clears> these sort of one-off games, these cup finals, is something that as local players we don't get chance to play very often. But it's just so exciting when you do, I know, I know at Bluncheon we, we had it one a, a couple of years ago, I think 2018 now, but even though we lost, it was such a brilliant day and everyone from the club turns up. It, I imagine you guys must be really looking forward to it. Yeah, we've drummed up a lot of support for this game, I think, <laughs> on Sunday. And a couple of people you had on earlier were saying about the atmosphere that's created at these sorts of events. Yeah. And that's absolutely true. Compared to an, a normal league game, there is an atmosphere about these sorts of games and particularly with it being a final and with it being an excellent venue like Burwell, We've really drummed up support, so hopefully there's going to be a sort of a feeling that you don't normally get when you walk out to walk out to battlefield uh, on a Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. Just lastly, weather isn't great. <laughs> How are your T20 <laughs> skills if the game gets reduced? <laughs> it feels like May never ended, doesn't it? If everybody remembers Certainly. May when all those games were cancelled. Yeah. So, um, you, you know, as you as you've had on the show already, you know, there's one one of the finals is already being rearranged. So, I, I guess you know, if it comes to it. We're expecting the same to happen for us if the game gets abandoned or cancelled. We're hoping that we will be able to reschedule it because, like I say, the boys really are looking forward to bringing home something for the club. You know, when you look at the Hobbs Pavilion and you see all those shields, or you look in the NCI club on Honden Street and you see the, the rich history of NCI wins, it really would be great for the twos to bring something home for us. Raj, all the best for the weekend. We're going to crack on to your big question now, which uh, we had a bit of a discussion about this earlier, but we've settled on should more local cricket clubs across uh, Cambridgeshire embrace online streaming and scoring? Now, we're going to bring Dan Heath into this discussion as well of Sourcen and Babraham. We know Sourcen and Babraham are, are really, really keen and one of the first clubs, I think, to really get their streams online and big on, on, on social media as well. Um, Raj, just before we go to Dan, why do you feel? Why did you ask this question? Why did you feel it was a, a good one to pose? So, I mean, like you say, Ollie, we've had a bit of a backwards and forwards discussing this today. And I think live streaming, the digitalization of cricket, 
we, we all love cricket. We all want more people to get involved with cricket. The NCI is a really open club and we accept everybody from all walks of life into cricket, newcomers, complete novices and seasoned pros alike, you know. Um, but spreading the gospel of cricket is something that we're really keen about. Um, and some of us have started live streaming our games so that others who are not playing or are further afield and particularly during lockdown and things like that, when we've not been able to have support um, um, uh, showing up to the games, it's really knitted our community together this this live streaming of games and and sort of getting cricket out there a little bit more so we're really keen for this sort of thing to happen because we just want more people to get involved with cricket dan for, for you i mean as i said source of paper i'm one of the one of the first clubs to embrace this and social media as well what's it brought to to the club not only from a point of view i guess building not necessarily the brand but building source of paper and throughout the the cricket community in Cambridgeshire, but also i guess sponsorships and and people wanting to play for the club as well yeah, you pretty much hit the nail on the head. I think when we approached it, it's purely, well, initially from a sponsorship point of view and the club's quite lucky in the sense that it's kind of what I do for a day job. So, <laughs> um, you know, using social media to drum up endorsements and sponsorships for the club, you know, providing um, a list of stats which you can approach businesses and, you know, and, and say, we've had X amount of views on our videos and we get X amount of followers and our audience is this old. And, you know, you can really target some, you know, some kind of good sponsors that, that would actually benefit from tapping into your following. Um, so it's something that we've really used um, quite strongly over the last few years. And yeah, I kind of feel like we probably were slightly at the front of the queue when it comes to social media and trying to copy a lot of what the first class counties do. And um, yeah, just trying to take take it club cricket to a new level, really. And Raj, we're seeing this all throughout the game as well. If you, you look at the county game, the domestic game, they've really benefited from online streaming. You go back to one of the highlights of the county season, Darren Stevens' knock of 190 149 balls for Kent and around about 90,000 people were able to witness this whether it be on the ECB's website on their app on, on, on the YouTube sites I mean those numbers alone are just staggering really at the potential they, they absolutely are staggering and you're, um, you know, you and Dan are absolutely correct that tapping into this from the point of view of sponsorship but also from the point of view of just raising awareness of cricket is phenomenal. A lot of our recruitment, you know, we're, we're one of the central Cambridge clubs um, and, and in a season where lots of, uh, lots of teams and lots of clubs are having to fold some teams, um, we've been very lucky, Cambridge NCI, that we've been able to recruit some new players and it's mainly down to the social media presence and I just wonder what would happen if with live streaming and the sorts of things that Dan's already doing Doing, what might you know? How much more involvement and then sponsorship and fight, you know financing more, more more expansion of cricket? I think there's lots of available lots of opportunities here, and it sounds like Dan is at the vanguard of all of this, and we're possibly a little <laughs> bit behind, but we are trying. We've caught caught on to the fact that it knits the team together, but it also opens things up a little uh, a lot for the public as well. Yeah, absolutely. You make a great point, Raj, with regards to attracting people to the game. Is that something you found down from doing this over the last few years? Is that maybe parents or kids have come to you and said, yeah, I want to join because I saw all the kids having great fun on the videos on when you're, the Friday night or, or, or the All-Stars, etc. Yeah, I think it's, it, it works at both ends, actually. Um, I think it appeals to uh, a certain player type of a certain age, of a social media age, possibly, that likes to engage in content and likes to see um, you know the, the best side of a club, and they want to have, they want to be involved themselves. And also, it works down at the bottom end as well, like you say with the juniors. I mean, to give you one example, we've we've recently um, posted an Instagram reel of just a, a really good delivery from our pro, and it's had almost a million views on Instagram, and it doubled our Instagram following. Um, so um, you know, just something like that, like a small piece of content, a five-second video, just did wonders for our social media, and it went all over. It went all over crickets, kind of like Twitter and Instagram and everywhere. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely a tool we use for for attracting players at both ends of the club. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant stats, crazy stats, really. Rajan, thanks so much for your time this evening. This is a, a topic that's really interesting to chat about and something I feel we should do something longer on a feature interview, perhaps, maybe in, in weeks to come. That's all we've got time for this evening. Thanks for coming on, guys. Thanks very much, Oli. Dan Heath there from Source and Abraham and Raj Banerjee from Cambridge NCI. Cambridge NCI in the Junior Cup final this Sunday up against Linton Village. Best of luck to uh, both sides in that one. From the Pavilion on Cambridge 105 Radio. Welcome back to From the Pavilion on Cambridge 105 Radio. No, I didn't forget. It's time for the first quarter final of the FTP Quiz Cup. 
and this week it's Eaton Soken against Wisbeach. I'm delighted to welcome Graham Duff from Eaton Soken and Mr James Williams from Wisbeach. Evening, chaps. How are we doing? Evening. Evening, Ollie. Evening. First, let's come to you, Graham. Back again. No, no, no doubt about handing the baton over to someone else. You're happy to take on the quarterfinals? Um, I think I'd, well, I was kind of left to it, really. Um, <laughs> I, I was I was kind of waiting for uh, a little tap on the shoulder from Dorbs to say that he'd have a go, um, especially when we were, were up against Wisbeach, but he's kept uh, he's kept himself quiet. What you meant to say is there was a queue of people to do it, Graham, but don't worry. Willow, what about you, mate? <laughs> I just just on Graham's comment there, Dorby's never kept himself quiet, so I'm sure I'm, I'm surprised he's not put his hand up. But um, no, pretty similar to Graham. Not many hands were uh, shown when I tried to pass on the baton. So no, happy to do it again. Thanks for selling the podcast, guys. <laughs> anyway I'm sure you know the format already for anyone listening we'll just clarify anyway it's exactly the same as last time so Willow and Graham will be competing against each other in a best of five contest each question will have six possible answers the player going first takes a guess if they're right they get the point if they don't play passes across to their opponent if they got it wrong play then returns back to your opponent like a tennis rally uh, to decide who's going first, you'll answer a separate question where the closest answer wins. Are we ready, chaps? Yep. Yeah, all good. Good. Well, the toss this week is has an England-India flavour to it. James Anderson has taken more wickets than any other bowler against India in Test cricket. How many, though? How many wickets has he taken against India? I'll come to you first, Graham. Oh, uh, 80. 80. Willow, what about you? Uh... 81. <laughs> 118 is the answer. So Willow, very, very cheeky, but not breaking any rules has got it right. <laughs> Are you ready for question one, Willow? Yeah, we'll go for it. Which Indian player has been ruled out of the first test against England due to concussion? Is it Mayank Agarwal, Kale Rahul, Ravi Ashwin, Privy Shaw, Pujara or Mohamed Siraj? Who are you going for? Uh, I'm going to go for Agarwal. You're going with Agarwal? Good start. First point on the board. This one's for you, Graham. Hasib Hamid has been included in the England squad versus India, but out of the players who made their debuts in the 21st century, he was the youngest. So Hasib Hamid, out of all the players who made their England test debut in the 21st century, Hasib Hamid was the youngest at 19 and 297 days. But who was next youngest? Was it Sam Curran, Don Bess, Ollie Pope, Stephen Finn, Jimmy Anderson or Mason Crane? What do you reckon? Um, Don Bess. You going with Don Bess? <clears throat> Sorry, Graham. Throws over to Willow. What do you reckon, Willow? I'm going with Mason Crane. Mason Crane. Back over to Graham. Chance to make it one all, Graham. Uh, you might have to remind me who's left. There was Curran, <laughs> Anderson. Sam Curran, Ollie Pope, Stephen Finn or Jimmy Anderson? Uh, Ollie Pope. Incorrect again. Willow, to make it 2-0. I'm going to go rogue and go Jimmy Anderson. Jimmy Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> A 50-50 chance now, Graham. Come on. <laughs> oh, it can't be Stephen. I'm going to go Curran. We got there in the end. Sam Curran <laughs> was 19 when he made his England day. Right, 19, 300 odd days. We're running out of time, so we'll have to whiz through these. Question three is for you, Willow. West Indies host Pakistan in the final of four T20 internationals today. The only match to be completed so far, though, was on Saturday. Who took a forfeit in the match? Was it Mohamed Afiz, Shahina Thridi, Hassan Ali, Hayden Walsh, Dwayne Bravo or Jason Holder? Uh, Hassan Ali. <laughs> Incorrect, I'm afraid. What do you reckon, um, Graham? Um, Jason Holder. That's correct. That is correct. Question four is for you, Graham. A chance to win it. Who is currently averaging the most runs in the Royal London One Day Cup? Is it 
Alistair Cook, Tom Wesley, Nick Gubbins, James Hildreth, Emilio Gay or Graham Clark? Cook. It's incorrect. Willow, a chance to make it 2-2. Uh, Nick Gubbins. Nick Gubbins? Back over to you, Graham. Uh, was it Hill? Did you say Hildreth? He's in there. Hildreth. No, Hildreth. Oh, <laughs> Willow. Uh, Wesley. He's correct. 2 2. We're on to the last question. Winner takes all. Australia faced Bangladesh today in the first of five T20 internationals, but I want to know which Aussie has scored more runs than any other in the history of international T20s for Australia. Is it Aaron Finch, David Warner, Steve Smith, Glenn Maxwell, Shane Watson or Cameron White? Now, this question is for Willow. What do you reckon, Willow? I think it's David Warner. You're going with David Warner. Graham, to win it. Aaron Finch. It is. It is Aaron Finch. 2,473 runs. Means that Aaron Finch is the correct answer. Well done, Graham. Thank you. Cheers, Willow. (laughs) Willow, how'd you feel? Cheers, Graham. Well done. Uh, got it. I must admit, I haven't done my research this week. That's I'm a little right, bit under underprepared. But you're a busy boy. I'll come back next year. Yeah, you will do. Thanks, mate. Appreciate that. Graham, you're through to the semi-finals, the last four. Chance of silverware for Eaton Soaking, potentially. I'll, I'll probably definitely have to keep going then. I think the only one I knew was the first question that Willow got. The other four, I so, didn't know any of them. So I guess, I guess three. Process <laughs> of elimination. Up. It's always handy, eh, Graham? Uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, no, all good. Yeah, enjoyed it. Good to come back. Good. Graham, thanks, mate. Really appreciate it. Well done. No worries. Cheers. Oh, that went right down to the wire, didn't it? <laughs> That's all we've got time for on this week's From the Pavilion. Thank you very much for tuning in. And also, you've been listening on the podcast as well. Thanks to all my guests for coming on the show. It's a great guest this week. Cracking guests. I'll be back next week, Tuesday at 6 o'clock on Cambridge 105 Radio. Not sure yet whether Nathan's going to be here. I'll let you know. One of us will definitely be here at least, though. There won't just be dead air. I'll be here 6 o'clock next week. And every Tuesday at 6 till the middle of September. You can also catch the podcast if you missed any of it. Head to Apple and Spotify, search From the Pavilion, and also on cambridge105.co.uk. Until next week, stay safe and well. Thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye. Cambridge 105